Hi friends, it's Ruth Day. I'm the recovery coach and I am so happy to be here. I am here to motivate, inspire, and empower you to live your best life. A new day on your recovery starts today. So if you ever had a conversation with someone who really brings you down, someone who's negative, always sees the worst side of a situation, picks on you, isn't kind, says things like, gee, you're really, you're kind of fat, pretty ugly. Who, who do you think you are wearing that outfit? Oh my God, your hair. What is that on your face? Do you have someone in your life who talks to you like that? Is that person you? You might say, well, I don't talk to myself, but you're doing it right now. You're probably saying to yourself, no, I don't talk to myself. And then another voice pops up and said, yeah, I mean, no, this isn't me talking to myself. What is she talking about? No, I'm fine about that. In fact, I don't, I don't say that about myself at all. Oh, gee, I should be getting groceries on the way home. Hey, what's that guy doing? I wonder what the dog is up to. I should call my mom. No, I can't call my mom right now. She's going to be at work. I'll wait till I get home. At any given moment in time, our brains are quite happily charting along and telling us all sorts of stories, talking to us endlessly. Introvert or extrovert, our self-talk does not shut up. And here's the thought. Louise Hay said, you've been criticizing yourself for years. Maybe you've been criticizing yourself for your whole life, but you've been criticizing yourself for years and it hasn't worked. Try approving of yourself and see what happens. So we talk to ourselves constantly and our brains are really good at negative self-talk and they're also really, really good at telling stories. And there's an evolutionary reason for that. Our brain tells us stories to keep us alive. In our brain, it's got one job, and that is to keep us alive so we can reproduce and our genes get passed on. So one of the ways that the brain keeps us alive is to tell us stories that are fear-based. So if you're walking down the street and you see another person and your brain's like, oh, I don't know about that. Maybe you should cross the street. Maybe you shouldn't go there. Maybe that could be dangerous. The whole idea is, I mean, even if the situation wasn't dangerous, is that your brain is like, I'm just going to keep you safe. And the safest way to do that is to play small. And then we get into this habit of speaking to ourselves like that. When in fact, if you actually examine the thoughts that go around in your head or the stories that your brain tells you, most of the time they're absolute garbage. The self-hate that we have going on you know, you look in the mirror and just start paying attention to the things that you're saying to yourself. First thing might be, oh my God, am I so fat? Oh, I look old. I look tired. Nobody's going to want to talk to me. You go into a situation and you walk into a room and you say something. like, oh God, how could I have said that? Oh, he thinks I'm an idiot. They think I'm an idiot. I have no business being here. And this is what our brains do all the time. It doesn't shut up. And one of the reasons that I drank was because I just could not handle it. Then of course you get into this cycle of shame where you feel awful, so you drink. And then because you drank, you feel awful, so you drink. And then you feel worse, so you drink. And so it goes. And here's the thing about self-talk. How we think about something or how we think about ourselves directly affects how we experience something. Our thoughts are the things that cause our emotion. There's a quote that says, think good thoughts. Thoughts become words. Words become action, actions become character, 
and character determines your life. But it all starts with your thoughts. And it's not just big dramatic ones either. Sometimes it's small ones like, oh, I'm so stupid. I mean, why am I even trying to figure this out? In fact, I was on last night uh, trying to set up something and I was on chat for two hours with IT. And the whole time, the little, the little circle that was running in my brain was this person thinks I'm an idiot. How can I possibly ask this question? Everybody knows how to do this. I am the only person on the planet that does, does not know how to set up an SLL certificate. Apparently, uh, I'm not the only person on the planet, which is why they have IT help. But it's the small stuff. We also catastrophize. Think about something that you went, oh God, this is the worst thing that could ever have happened to me. This is awful. And then looking back on it, you know, it wasn't so bad. Think about back when you were in your first year of high school or middle school or something, and something seemed like the end of the world. I mean, we all remember feeling like that in school and you thought, this is it. I just want to die. I want the floor to open up. My life is over. So we all remember that feeling, but can you remember the situation that brought it up? See, the things that we think are huge and catastrophic right now in a week, in six months, in a year, we're not going to think that way about them. And it's gaining perspective about that that can be the tricky part. It's really, honestly, raise your hand if you have ever completely overreacted to something and then looked back at it and thought, I mean, seriously, what was my problem? In uh, the book, Stumbling on Happiness, the author talks about how we worry about something and how we experience something. So one of the uh, one of the studies that he did was he sent a, a questionnaire out and he asked people how they would rate being stood up at the altar. And most people said that it's the most terrible thing a person could go through. I would die. My life would be over. And then he surveyed people who that had actually happened to. Now, not the day of. Maybe it was a year later. Maybe it was six months later. Maybe it was five years later. But their answer was something completely different to them. I was like, oh, God, it was awful at the time, but it was the best thing that could have happened to me. If I had married that person, I just I don't even want to think about it. And because that fell apart, this wonderful thing happened. Sometimes we get so caught up in what we think is a catastrophe overreacting to a situation that we completely lose perspective. And I had talked previously about the space between stimulus and response. And self-talk, I mean, that finding that space is also an opportunity to examine our own self-talk and to notice just the banter that's going back and forth in our head all the time. And once we get an awareness and we start to notice that, because a lot of times people have no idea that their brain is constantly talking back and forth. I mean, it does not shut up. But once you start to notice it, everything starts with mindfulness or awareness. And you become aware of the voices that are talking in your head. And no, it doesn't mean you're crazy. It means you're human and you have a functioning brain. So to become aware of these voices is the first step towards actually exerting some control over them or starting to notice the patterns and the ways in which you talk to yourself. And I'm guessing if you're listening to this, and like I said, I I don't believe in coincidences. I believe you're listening to this for a reason because you need to hear this right now. But if you pay attention to the things you said, you can start to, to notice patterns. And sometimes the voices in my head sound just like my mother. 
And sometimes they sound like my mother-in-law. Sometimes they sound like the first boyfriend I had in high school. Sometimes my brain's stories are just rewinds of awful events. It's amazing. I mean, a random thought pops up in your head. Gee, I think she kind of looks sideways at me. And then the next thing you're thinking, wow, I think I think she's angry at me. Yeah, I think she's probably really pissed at me. You know, I bet so-and-so is pissed at me too. In fact, I, I sounded like an idiot today and that's why they were looking at me like that. Oh God, I can never, I can never go back. I can't talk to anybody. They all hate me. They think I'm an idiot. I mean, look at all of this. And in about 30 seconds or 30 milliseconds, you have gone from noticing somebody making a face to deciding that it's completely about you and you've created a great narrative that is not based in fact. Perhaps maybe she was having a thought about her mother. Maybe she was running her own narrative that had nothing to do with you. And that's the thing about the little stories that we get going on. At the center of all these stories in our head is us. And we are the the hero of our own stories. And we think what everybody else does is to do with us. When in actuality, everything that everybody else does has 100% to do with them and nothing to do with us. David Wallace did a commencement speech and he, and if you look this up on YouTube, it's called This Is Water. He started off the story. There's these two young fish swimming along and they pass an older fish and they say, good morning. And the older fish says, hey guys, good morning. How's the water? And the, the, the one fish looks to the other and says, what's water? It's cute and it's glib, but it sort of underlines the whole thing about what is water We get so caught up in our own self-centered narratives that we really are blind to the fish's case, water, what is going around us. And our, our own perception defaults to the negative. It defaults to the self-centered response. When we're in the grocery store and there's that person ahead of you in line and you're thinking, oh my God, they are so slow. They're going to eat that. Does that woman not know how to take care of her kids? And the banter goes back and forth with the defaulting to making ourselves the center of whatever universe we're in and other people just play roles in our lives. And when we become aware of this tendency, of the way our brains naturally want to think about and naturally regard the world. And again, it's just to keep us alive. It's not that our brain doesn't have our best interest in hearts, but when we come aware of this, that's our chance to flip the narrative. I had said in an earlier podcast, someone who's having a great day and driving their car and is really happy, that's not the guy who cuts you off. The person who cuts you off is someone who's already having a hard day. The person who glares at you or snaps at you in the grocery store is already having a hard day. Happy people don't do those things. And you know yourself when you're in a good mood, somebody can say something to you. You're like, yeah, okay, whatever you be you. But when you're not in a good mood and the the self-talk is, is is circling around why everybody hates you or why you're, you're not good enough or why you are less than or why you think you're worthless for whatever reason you're too this or not enough that. When that's the headspace that we're stuck in, everything that comes in gets seen through that filter. And then seen through that filter, the storytellers go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and you've cycled it in and you've gone to that hamster wheel section of your brain. When I first got sober, I used to call that the hamster wheel section and that Mentally, I had roped it off with police tape and I was not allowed to go in there unaccompanied 
because that's where my thoughts would go and they would spin around, spin around and spin around. And the next thing you know, there was a thing that happened with my mother-in-law 20 years ago. There was a thing that my dad said to me, there was this thing and I had catastrophized. And that's what we do. So awareness, when we start to notice our thoughts and the other great thing about our brains is they are thought generators. That's what they do. They're like a little thought factory. Here comes a thought, here comes a thought, there's another thought and another thought and another thought, but those thoughts are not facts. Our brains generate thoughts. They do not generate facts. If I could get one point through to you with this podcast, don't believe everything you think. Just because a thought has arrived in your head does not make it true does not mean you have to form a relationship with it, does not mean that you have to take it out for dinner and move in together. You can have a thought arrive and say, wait, does this serve me? Is this making me feel good or bad about myself? And if it's not, then you can say thanks and let the thought go. And we think just because we think something that we need to entertain it, that we need to examine it and that we need to think about this. And it's not the case. Our brains generate all sorts of garbage thoughts that we waste a lot of our life and our energy spending time with and examining them. And if these thoughts were people who walked into our lives, like if you were, you know, at Starbucks and somebody walked up to you and said, God, you look really awful. You'd be like, yeah, see you. Bye. But if that conversation happens in the privacy of our own head, we're thinking, oh yeah, geez, I really do. I really do. So this is sounded pretty negative and pretty gloomy. But I do want to tell you the flip side of this, the opposite is also true. That when you think good thoughts, those will affect your emotions and those will affect how you experience the world. It's easier once you're in a good mood to stay in a good mood. And when you're in a good mood, you see the world through that filter. So you're, you know, you're happy, you're in this good mood and you look across the room and there's that woman making the face and you're thinking, wow, maybe she's having a hard time not about you. Good job. So when we notice what we think, when we're mindful about our thoughts, decide the ones that are worth keeping and decide the ones that like you don't want to have a relationship with. Decide the ones that you want to let go. You do not have to hang on to your thoughts. You are not your thoughts. Your thoughts are not facts. I'm going to say it again. You are not your thoughts. Your thoughts aren't facts. The stories that your brain tells in your head aren't necessarily true. Now, sometimes our brain tells us stuff that we really do have to pay attention to that isn't positive. And that's areas where we need to set boundaries or there really is danger or there is things that we have to worry about. The thing that we have to get to notice is what thoughts are real, what fears are worth paying attention to and what ones aren't. Sometimes that's a very difficult thing to do. In her book, The Book of Qualities, uh, J. Ruth Gendler writes about different qualities like love and beauty and compassion, patience, and also fear as if they were people. And the way she wrote about fear, I thought was very beautiful. And I'm going to read it to you. Fear has a large shadow, but he himself is quite small. He has a vivid imagination. He composes horror music in the middle of the night. He is not very social and he keeps to himself at political meetings. His past is a mystery. He warned us not to talk to each other about him, adding that there is nowhere any of us could go where he wouldn't hear us. 
We were quiet. When we began to talk to each other, he changed. His manners started to seem pompous, and his snarling voice sounded rehearsed. Two dragons guard Fear's mansion. One is ceramic and Chinese. The other is real. If you make it past the dragons and speak to him up close, it is amazing to see how fragile he is. He will try to tell you stories. Be aware. He is a master of disguises and illusions. Fear almost convinced me that he was a puppet maker and I was a marionette. Speak out boldly. Look him in the eye. Startle him. Don't give up. Win his respect and he will never bother you with small matters. So pay attention to what you think. And if you want an assignment, something practical that you can do, and I will have something practical in every podcast, take 10 minutes, pick up a journal, pick up a piece of paper, several pieces of paper and a pen, set a timer for 10 minutes, and just write the stream of thought that is coming out of your brain. Just write it all down. Because it's amazing when you take the thoughts out of your head and you write them on paper, it takes away a lot of their powers. And then you can look at them a little more objectively. You can examine them a little more critically and decide, yeah, that's, that's probably one I don't need to keep. All right, I might be catastrophizing a bit there. I might be overreacting a bit there. And wow, I don't even know where that thought came from. That is straight out of left field. Try that. And then take a moment just not to judge your thoughts, you know, and not to judge yourself because you have them because we all have these crazy thoughts. The Pope has them. The Dalai Lama has them. Everybody has this, this crazy junk that goes through their head. The difference is that some people attach to them and some people have learned how not to attach to them or to attach and then let go. And that's that's the path of mindfulness. Mindfulness doesn't mean that you have a blank mind and you never have another worry again. It means that you're aware of the committee that's having conversations in your head constantly and then you get to decide which ones you keep, which ones you let go. And you might not have control over that first thought or that first emotion that pops up. But if you pay attention, you can have control over the ones that come after it. And as many times as you forget about this, that many times, just come back to being aware. Forgive yourself constantly. Forgive yourself 20 times a minute, 10,000 times a day. Be kind to yourself. We speak to ourselves so harshly. Try speaking to yourself like you're someone that you would love. And if you can't find that self-love, then speak to yourself from when you were a young child. Imagine yourself at about four or five and speak to that part of yourself. Find some self-love, some kindness, even if it is just speaking to that child that you once were. I'm Ruth Day, the Recovery Coach. And I am here to motivate, inspire, and empower you and to let you know that today is a new day in your recovery. Every podcast, I'm going to have something practical and easy that you can do right now, that you can do right now to make you feel a little better, to ground you a little more. If you want to speed up that, if you want to feel better a little more consistently, 
go over to my website, chatwithruth.com. I can do a three 30-minute call with you. I'll give you three basic strategies that you can use right there to feel better. And I know how this feels. I have been there. Other people have been there. You are not alone in this. And that realization all on its own can be a revelation. So call me. 30 minutes, we'll talk, you'll feel better. Go to my site or listen to this podcast. I will be here giving you practical advice, just simple things that you can do to help yourself feel a little better and then a little better. I'm Ruth Day, the recovery coach. Have a wonderful rest of your day and be kind to yourself. I'll talk to you soon.